Today we are in part five of a series we are calling uh, Unstuck. I'll move this back just a little bit. And uh, we've been looking at a number of different things here uh, over these last five weeks. We've talked about um, just what does it look like when we are, are getting stuck in seasons of life? How do we move beyond that? And, and what are the things that are holding us back? We've talked about being stuck in pain. We talked about being um, how prayer and fasting gets us unstuck. Hey, by the way, you made it. Today is the last day of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Congratulations. I pray that um, it sparked something inside of you. I pray that you, were, uh, you fell more in love with Jesus if, if you were a part of this. Um, I'm just so blown away by what God is doing in our house, um, building a house of prayer building a house of fasting. How many know we can't do this on our own strength? We need the power and the presence of God to do what God's called us to do. And so I hope you started your year off that way. Today we're gonna be in Exodus chapter 13. If you have some notes, go ahead and, and pull those out. We'll, uh, we'll put this on the screen as well. I'm gonna direct you to a passage of scripture that um, I really uh, was, was taken back when I read this passage. Most of us probably know the story of Exodus, the story of, of Moses being the deliverer that God chose to use to get his people out of 400 plus years of bondage and slavery. In Exodus chapter 13, we're gonna look at this one unique verse and then we're gonna, we're gonna rewind back. We're gonna, we're gonna get back in the, uh, in the DeLorean and we're gonna go back. We're gonna go back in time and we're gonna look at the beginning of this story but we're gonna start kind of somewhat in the middle of it. Exodus chapter 13 Verse 17 through 18 says this. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Watch the next verse. And it says this. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So... God led them, everybody say that with me, God, come on, say that again, God led them, God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea, thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. This is such a unique verse when, when you read it, by, literally it just says this, there was a shorter route to go God decided not to go the short route, to go the long route. The, not the short route, but the long route. How many of you, when you drive, you're always looking for the shortest route possible that you possibly can go? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm that type of guy as well. I'm always trying to figure out different ways that I can get to my destination the quickest way possible. You would think that after 400 plus years of slavery, God would want to get his people to their destination, the promised land. What he promised back in Genesis chapter 12 last week that we looked at in Abraham, that he was going to give his people this, this, this land. Here's the moment. It's going to happen. They're in slavery. God's going to get them out of slavery and get them to this promised land. You would think God's going to expedite that 400 plus years of not seeing the promise. And God takes them the long route. Why is God taking them the long route? How many of you know that God is a God of intentionality? Do y'all know what I mean by that? He is a God of intentionality, meaning that when God is doing something, he's up to something. Watch this, though. But even when God is not doing something, he's up to something. 
How many of y'all know that to be true? That if he, even if it looks like God is not doing anything, how many know he's actually doing something? Any of y'all had times where it seems like God's voice was silent? Because he's silent doesn't necessarily mean he's not doing anything. God is always doing something, and he's a God of intentionality. Everything that he calls us to do, he's doing it for a reason. When he's doing something, he's up to something. When he's not doing something, he's still up to something. And if you look at this verse, it seems a bit strange that after 400 plus years of bondage, 430 years to be exact, these guys have been stuck for 430 years in slavery, 430 years of oppression, 430 years of suppression, 430 years of depression, 430 years of being stuck in the same place over and over and over again. And for all those that are in this room that feel like you have been stuck in a season, I thought that was such a good word from Pastor Dustin. That was a great word, man of God, that that we're in seasons. And how many of you have just felt like you've been stuck in a season that you just can't get out of? I need you to know that this is good news because we're reading a book called Exodus. And the title of Exodus gives me encouragement when I am stuck because Exodus literally means to exit. Meaning this, that when you feel stuck, just because you feel stuck, we have a God that is a God that knows how to get you unstuck. Let me put it this way. If God is the God of exits, then that means I'm never stuck. Oh, let me say that again. If God is a God of exits, that means I am never stuck. Hey, listen, I may feel stuck. I may look stuck. People may say I am stuck. But how many of you know that if God can get you unstuck, he will part some waters to get you through. He will take Jericho walls and bring them down. He will not let his people stay stuck. He's called us to move forward. And even though his people were stuck, God had a plan. How many of you look at your life and it looked like there was no exit, but God had an exit? Anybody in here? It looked like there was no way out, but we seemed like God had a way to make a way out. How many know God can make highways where there's seas? God can make things happen where there's not. This is the God that we serve. So if you are in a stuck season, maybe stuck emotionally, maybe stuck spiritually, maybe stuck relationally, you just need to know you serve a God of exits. And Exodus is good news for all of us because even no matter how much you feel like you're in that season, God's got a plan for you to get unstuck. He's got a plan for it. And God's plan for getting them unstuck was through a man by the name of Moses. Now let's, do, now let's, now let's go back. Let's get, into the, let's get into DeLorean and go back to where this all began. If you know the story of Moses, Moses was a Hebrew boy. Moses was born into a time when the children of Israel were in Egypt. They were in Egypt because if you go and you look in Genesis, y'all know the story of Joseph. Joseph and all that went on with his story, he got recruited to be the second in charge after a a slew of things that he thought he was stuck in, became second in charge. God put him in this huge place. God gave him dreams and visions of there would be a famine and all this stuff that happened. Anyways, all of the Hebrews, uh, if you know the story of Joseph's family, Jacob and all of the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes, all of them came to Egypt because they were getting, uh, wanted to just survive this famine. So here they are and they begin to build families there in Egypt. 
Over that time, they begin to get so large and so big that uh, the Pharaoh, the, the king over it all, started getting a bit threatened because the Hebrews were becoming outnumbering all of the Egyptians. And they thought that at some point, the Hebrews are going to get smart and realize we're bigger, we're stronger, we can take the Egyptians and this can be ours. So in fear, Pharaoh decides, I got a plan. I'm going to kill every single male child that is born. Everyone that is male born, he told all the Egyptian uh, maids, when that child is born, if it comes out a girl, she can live. If it comes out a boy, kill it. For if you know the story, Moses was delivered into the world, born into this world, and uh, the, the maid feared the Lord, feared God. So her and her mother ended up making a basket, put Moses in a basket, and sailed him down the Nile River. Felt like, hey, he's at least got a better chance, maybe that way someone would find him. Well, God's providence, someone does find him. Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in the Nile River. As she's bathing, sees a basket, goes over to the basket, sees Moses, falls in love with Moses. Scripture says that Moses' sister was watching the basket. I can just imagine walking down the aisle, or walking down the Nile, watching the basket go. And then she sees, uh-oh, there's people over here. So she stops. I'm sure she hides in the bushes and sees that uh, Pharaoh's daughter picks up the basket, picks up the child. She goes over to Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter is like, I want to keep this, this child, but I can't raise it. I need someone to raise it. Pharaoh's sister comes to the table and says, hey, um, I can find someone who can raise that child. She says, good, can you go find her? Moses' sister goes and gets Moses' mom. <laughs> and Moses' mom comes back and raises her own son. Now listen, is that the hand of God or not? How many of you look back at your life and go, the hand of God has been on my life? You look back at some things that should not have happened and only because of the hand of God that was on your life that you are where you are today. And if you look at the story of Moses from the beginning of time, there wasn't, this wasn't an accident. This God had this. And so I wrote this down and I want you to hear this with hopefully new lenses, new heart, new eyes. God made you on purpose, for purpose, and by purpose because your life has purpose. God made you for, on purpose, for purpose, and by purpose because your life has purpose. Your parents may have been surprised by your arrival, but God was not. Your presence on this planet has purpose. You are not a result of an accident. God has you on this planet for a reason. You have strategically and intentionally been placed on this planet. Lindsay and I were talking about this the other day. Just the fact that we live in this state, in this nation, in this time, at this moment. We could have been born in Ghana. We could have been born in Morocco. We could have been born anywhere else. But God chose to have me born right here in 1982. I was born in this time, in this region to these parents, to these grandparents, do you not think because of all that, looking at all that's gone on with Cajun grandparents and then had my dad in Texas and then all that went on and then now me getting back to Louisiana and everything that's gone on and now that I am where I am, like, do you not think that God had a hand on all that? Now, all of you, that is the exact same story. God made you on purpose for purpose, by purpose, because you have a purpose. And even when you look at all the things in your life that look like they didn't go how they were supposed to go, remember, we serve a God of intentionality, and even when it looks like he's not doing anything, he's doing something. All right, and so 
You need to understand that when we look at Moses from the beginning of his birth, God had a purpose. God had a purpose of making sure that he was in the right place at the right time, even by his mother sending him down the Nile. Fast forward, watch this, fast forward 40 years. So 40 years of his life, he grows up in the Egyptian royalty. He is Pharaoh's grandson. He's a Hebrew boy in Pharaoh's royalty house, living in the palace. He got all of the treatment of a royal, got all the royal education, got all the royal servings, got all the royal food, got all the royal servants, got all the royalty for 40 years, but he's still Hebrew. And when he's 40 years old, he has this one moment where he sees a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian. And the Egyptian is beating this Hebrew. And even though he looks Egyptian, on the inside he's Hebrew. And he sees this atrocity. And he decides to take matters in his own hands. The Bible says he looks around to see if anybody's looking. And he kills the Egyptian. He just kills him. He buries him. And he thinks that nobody knows until another day passes and then he gets called out for it. He's addressing a situation and someone says, well, you're gonna kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Word travels fast. Come on, it's like Lake Arthur. Okay, so, um, <laughs> come on. Is that, not, is that Jennings? Okay, it's all these cities, okay, all right. I just, just hacked off all my Lake Arthur people. Y'all know it's true, though. Y'all know it's true. Y'all know it's true. So... News travels fast, man. So I want you to imagine, here we go. So 40 years later, kills the Egyptian. He's now afraid of his life. I'm going somewhere, so just track with me here. He's now afraid of his life. He goes on the run. He literally runs 400 miles away to a, to a place called Midian. It's out in the middle of the desert. Out in the middle of the desert, he ends up meeting what will become his wife and his wife's family. He's got no job. I mean, think about this. He was royalty, and now he's on the run. He had everything at his disposal. Life was great. And now he has no job, no family, no home, no nothing. And he gets to Midian, and God, yet again, because he's a God of intentionality and he's a God of purpose, says, how many know even when you're on the run from yourself, I still got my hand on you? I'm telling y'all, y'all need to listen. And so God divinely orchestrates him meeting up with what would be his future wife, his future father-in-law. His father-in-law gives him a home. His father-in-law gives him his daughter and his father-in-law gives him a job. I mean, no, that's a good father-in-law. <laughs> Everything you didn't have, you just got. But his job is to now be a shepherd. So think about this for a moment. You have gone from royalty, the highest occupation in the world, to the lowest, to now a shepherd. You have gone to being served your whole life, to now being the one that's serving others. You have gone from being the one that is seen and revered and idolized to the one that you never see anymore. Talk about a shift that happens in his life. And here we are in this moment. 
from being one who is recognized and revered to someone who's not seen in the desert. And if you, you, you follow the story, he, he becomes a shepherd for 40, another 40 years. So now, let's fast forward. Let's get into DeLorean. Let's go to, the, let's go to his 80 year now. Okay, so 80 years have now passed. First 40 years were amazing, royalty. Second 40 years were really, really rough. Shepherd, unseen. Now he's 80. And at 80 years old, he's going to hear God for the very first time. He's going to hear him. And he's going to hear him in a very unique way. He's shepherding around the mountain with all of his herd. And then all of a sudden he sees some smoke. He sees something catching on fire. What's going on here? And he runs to this bush that's caught on fire to see what's going on. And a voice comes out of the bush. Y'all don't act like that's normal. Have y'all seen a voice out of a bush lately? Okay. You're all like, yeah, sure. That happened to me last week. Okay. Um, so he's, he's got this voice that comes out. And I want you to see what this voice says. First off, the one of the first things he tells him is take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I want you to come to me, which signifies something in and all of itself, but we won't go there. But I want you to see what, what, what God says to Moses. He says in verse 9, so Exodus 3 now, verse 9 says this. Y'all with me? Everybody with me? We, we good so far? Okay. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression which which the Egyptians oppressed them. And here we go. Come. I, what does it say? Come on, let's say it again. Come. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay? So I want you to watch what's happening here. The, the people have been so oppressed for 400 plus years. God says, I have heard of their oppression. I have not only heard it, I have now seen it, and now I'm ready to act on it. Which, by the way, I just want you to know, God doesn't intervene in their life until they're ready for him to intervene in their life. I think they were comfortable for a while until they got to the end. How many know God will always let you live on the, on the level that you settle for? And so here we are finally, they're like, I'm done with this. I'm sick and tired. How many know you can live in dysfunction and call it normal for a while? But eventually, when you get sick and tired of living sick and tired, you get to that place where you're desperate. And they're desperate before the Lord. They're now praying before the Lord. God sees their, their desperation. God sees their oppression. And God says, okay, I'm going to do something about this. Now, here's where I get the issue with this. Because they talk to God, and God talks to Moses. They talk to God, and God talks to Moses. They talk to God, and God talks to Moses. Here's why I have the issue with it. When I talk to God, I like God to talk to me. Anybody in this room want God to talk to you? Like, I went to God with my problems. I want God to talk to me about my problems. But God did not talk to him about their problems. They talked to God about their problems, and God talked to somebody else about their problems. I'm like, I want God to talk to me about my problems. But he doesn't talk to me. He was talking to somebody else because he, here's, here's what I want you to understand. When God is not talking to you about your problems, doesn't mean that God is not trying to figure out the answer. 
When God is not talking to you about whatever you're talking to him about doesn't necessarily mean that God is not doing something. Remember, because when God's not doing something, doesn't mean he's not doing something. He's still doing something. So while they're bringing all these prayers to God and going, don't you see us, don't you see us, and God's not saying anything to them, doesn't mean he ain't talking because he's talking to their solution. And watch this. And he's trying to convince the solution that you're the solution. And so here he is with Moses on the other side of a mountain. 80 years he's lived this life now. 40 of, the, of these years in hiding, really in hiding of his life. 40 years of just stuck. He's stuck. And God says, okay, are you, re- are you ready to get unstuck? Because I need you to get unstuck because until you can get unstuck, these people can't get unstuck. But when you get unstuck, these people can get unstuck. Could it be that there are some of you in here that because you're stuck, other people aren't unstuck yet, and when you get unstuck, God will help them get unstuck? So, I want us to look at what God calls them to do. God tells him, hey, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna go to my people, you're gonna go to Pharaoh, you know, you're gonna tell him, let my people go, all that that's gonna happen. Okay, and I want us to look at, at two things. I only have two points today, and that's it. And that is that there are two obstacles, two things that keep us from moving in our purpose. Two things that keep us from moving where God wants us to go. Two, only two. There are two things. We see it in the story of Moses. It's the thing that kept him stuck where he was for 40 years. And I want you to see what God says. So God tells him, hey, Moses, you're the answer to this. 430 years, your people have been under oppression. You've been running from it for fear for your life. You're going to go right back to the place that you were running from. And you're going to deliver those people. And I want you to see what, what he says. First thing, if you want to write this down. First thing that keeps us from not moving forward in our purpose is insecurity. Insecurity. Watch this. The, verse 11 says this. But Moses says to God. Everybody help me here. Who am I? Who am I? Moses, you're going to go and you're going to deliver God's people. You're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And the first thing Moses says is, well, who am I? Why why me? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Why, why, Why am I the guy that needs to go and do it? Moses is going to start telling God all the reasons why he's unqualified and why he's unable to do what God has called him to do. Notice, he didn't say that it couldn't be done. He just said that he couldn't do it. It's not that he didn't believe that God could bring those people out of, out of Egyptian slavery. He just believed that he wasn't the one that was supposed to do it. He was like, hey, uh, wrong number. <laughs> You, you, you hit a seven when you should have hit a nine. Sorry, that's, that's wrong number. That was a butt dial, God. That wasn't me. Sorry. You should, you should go call somebody else. You should always call somebody else. But God's not like that. God keeps calling and God keeps calling. And how many know, though, this is so huge here that you will always behave in a way that is consistent with what you think about yourself. I'm going to say that one again. You will always behave in a way that is consistent with the way that you think about yourself. And maybe God was just trying to get him to see him the way he saw him. Hey, how many know God is trying to introduce you to the you he made you to be? And you're trying to tell God who you're not. And God's telling you, I made you. You didn't make you. I made you. I know what I put in you. I know the purpose I have for you. I know the call that I have for you. Don't tell me what you can't do. I put that in you. And if I called you, you're qualified. 
If I called you, you're qualified. You're called to do this. You're called to do this. The Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So is he. So, so I, I hear this, and listen, I, and I, I do this myself. I, I so disqualify my ability to be used by God, disqualify myself from what God can do through me through the things that I think about myself. We say things like, I can't do that. We say things like, well, if they only knew, they wouldn't be asking me. If they only knew, they wouldn't be asked, oh, because of what I've done. Look what my past is. Look what, look what I've done. And, 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 and I want you to know this something here. Moses is the most educated person for this. It wasn't because he wasn't educated. Look what Acts says about Moses. Watch this. It wasn't because of education. Acts chapter 7, when, when, the, when Stephen was martyred, Stephen shares the whole story. And he shares this part about, about Moses in Acts 7.22. He says, Moses was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was powerful in and I don't know about y'all, that seems like you're pretty qualified to me. He's got all of the training that you can think of, but let me tell you what you see here. There is no amount of accolades, there's no goals, there's no ministry acclaim that will ever be able to solve the who am I question. You cannot be trained enough, you not, can, cannot be equipped enough to ever answer the question who am I, because who am I has nothing to do with education, who am I has nothing to do with skin color, who am I has nothing to do with background, who am I has nothing to do with upbringing, who am I has everything to do with what God has called me to be, who he's created me to be, regardless of my past, regardless of my present, it's who he's called me to be. And if he says I'm qualified, I am qualified to do what he's called me to do. How many know you don't know you like God knows you? So every time you tell God, oh, I can't do that, he goes, you don't know. Like, you don't know that. Stop limiting yourself and what God can do you because you don't like you. God loves you, God likes you, God wants to use you, and God's put things inside of you that he is call, he's calling forth so he can use you in incredible ways. But before God could use Moses, listen to this very carefully, before God could use Moses, he had to get Moses to see himself as he sees him. Because as long as Moses saw himself as Moses saw himself, he would never go do what God called him to do because his insecurity would always get in the way. And so if he's called you, he's qualified you. The enemy doesn't want you to see you like God sees you. How many know the enemy will remind you of the things that you say about you, especially if it's not true? Yeah, you are fearful. Yeah, you're not qualified. Yeah, you're not this. And the enemy will just keep speaking into your ear all the reasons why you can't, why you shouldn't, why you won't, why you're gonna fail, why all this is gonna happen. So watch what God's solution is. Because insecurity will keep us stuck. It'll keep us stuck in a certain level. By the way, may, we may take incremental steps, but we won't take the big steps because we don't believe God is who he says he is and we don't believe we are who God says we are. And so, and so God's solution to the stuckness of insecurity was this. Look at, look at verse 13. So, so, so Moses says in 11, who am I? In verse 13, Moses says to God, 
Well, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to, the, to, to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they're gonna ask, well, what's his name? Like, who called? Who, who is the one who called you? And he says this, so what am I gonna say to them when I go to the Hebrews and say, God has called me to come deliver you? They're gonna ask, God who? Now, here's why he's gonna say that, because Egypt was, uh, was not a monotheistic country, meaning there wasn't just one God. There was pluralistic, there was polytheism going on in Egypt, meaning, meaning there was the sun God, and there was the moon God, and there was the, the goddess of this, and the goddess of this. So when he comes to them and says, God called me, they'd be like, what's his name? Artemis, Zeus, sun, moon, Freddy, I don't know, what's his name? We need to know, what's his name? And so God, what, what, what should they call you? What, what can I call you? And he says, okay, are you ready? Pull out a pen. You ready? You ready? Yeah, 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 I'm ready, God, I'm ready. What is it? I am. Okay, what, what else? I am who I am. Okay, it's a little short, but uh, all right. What Moses was realizing that I am is Jehovah. I'm Jehovah. Now, it was, it was almost like a pre- prefix where there's, there's one word and then there's something else. So what he was saying is, listen, Moses, whatever you need me to be, I'll be that when you need it. So if you need me to be a provider, I'll be Jehovah Jireh, your provider, when you need me to be. If you need my peace, I will be Jehovah Shalom when you need me to be Jehovah Shalom. How many know he is a fill-in-the-blank God? Whatever you need in that moment, he will be that. If you need a resurrection, he is a resurrection God in that moment. He is a fill-in-the-blank God. If you need a doctor, he can be a doctor. If you need a psychiatrist, he can be a psychiatrist. If you need a friend, he can be a friend. If you need a father, he can be a father. I am who I am, and I can do what I want to do because I can be all things to all people at all times. Some of you in here need God as a father. Some of you in here need God as a deliverer. Some of you in here need God as a friend. Some of you need God as a wisdom and God as counsel. Everybody in here needs God in different ways and God can be that for you in whatever ways you need it to be. So when he's battling insecurity, I don't know who I am. It's just good to know that God knows who he is. He says, I am who I am. And you need to start focusing on me and start focusing on I. Moses needs to get over who he is and focus on who he is. And when you step into that, incredible things can start happening. And the very thing that we feel like disqualifies us is what God looks at as insurance. (laughs) What do you mean insurance? Meaning that God's gonna call you into a situation that you think disqualifies you, but it's just insurance to him because he knows when you get to that moment, you're gonna need him. And God will never bring you into a place where you won't need him. See, you think that God is gonna remove your insecurities. Truth is, God works through your insecurities. He doesn't remove them, he works through them. And if you and I will anchor ourselves to the I am, 
you will begin to know who you are. Because if God's called me and God's equipped me, God can use me. Insecurities have held so many people back from stepping into jobs, have held so many back from stepping into sharing their faith, have held so many back from stepping into what God has called you to do because you've asked this question to God, who am I? Who am I? And God says, I know exactly who you are. That's why I called you. Because there's something in you that only you can do to reach those people that nobody else can. So fear, I mean uh, insecurity. Number two is fear. Fear will hold you back from moving forward in your purpose. Not just insecurities, but fears. How many of you in here, just by a show of hands, how many of you have battled some insecurities of wondering, why, can God really use me? Can God really do this in me? If God, sees, if God just knew what was going on in my head, he does. <laughs> it's like nothing you tell God and he's like, are you serious? <laughs> what? What? Holy Spirit, we overlooked that one. Okay. Man, got us. He got us. He like, God knows. God knows your addictions. God knows your past. God knew that he was a murderer. God knew what he, what he struggled with. God knew all that. And not only was he addressing his insecurities, but notice the second thing he's going to address in Moses' issue is his fear. Because look what chapter 4 now says when, when God continues. So he gives him his first excuse. Well, who am I? I can't do it. And how many know God's relentless? How many know he's a pretty good persuader? Y'all know God's a pretty good persuader? He will get you to try to do what he wants you to do, and he will just keep pushing until you eventually go, okay. <laughs> and so here we go in chapter 4. Moses answers him and says, watch this next one now. Moses answers and says, what if? What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? How many of y'all know what if is fear's greatest hit? I wonder how many of us have stayed up late at night because of what ifs. How many have gotten up early in the morning from the what if alarm bell? How many of us have not stepped into what God has called us to fully step into because of what ifs? I wanna know how many dreams in this room and online have died under the weight of what if? What if? And notice in this, pay attention to the next word. What if they? What if they? I, I always will ask people this all the time when, when they tell me this. Well, they said, and I always ask this, who's they? Who is they? And what I usually find out is they is one. One person said this about you and now everybody says this about you because of what one person said about you. And I'm like, they is not, th that's, that's them. That is not they. They don't say that. That's what you're believing. They all say. And so it becomes a new narrative to you and you go, well, they all say this. What if they, what if they don't listen? What if they don't agree? What if they don't trust me? What if they don't like me? What if they don't help me? What if they don't come through? What if they all this stuff that they start doing. What if they laugh at me? What if they don't accept me? And his fear is not just a hypothetical fear like, oh, it could happen. It's also a historical fear. Because y'all remember the whole reason why he's in the wilderness? 
because of the fear of people that were going to kill him because of what he did. So some of us, our fears are hypothetical. Well, what if, what if, it could, maybe, I don't know. And we live in this, this tension of like, what will this be? What could this be? What happened? But some of your fears are not hypothetical, they're historical. They did happen. Things in your life that actually did happen. And you go, well, it, it's, I'm, I'm not out here thinking it may, it did. So what if I step into it and it happens again? Like, shouldn't I learn from that? And Moses was afraid of the rejection that he had experienced 40 years previously. He's projecting his past into his potential and it's causing him to be stuck. So I want you to hear me closely when I say this. When God speaks to you about your potential, he will always cause you to confront your past. When God speaks to you about your potential and where he can bring you and what he wants to do through you, it will always cause you to confront your past, always, always. Past failures, past mistakes, past pains, past hardships, past sufferings, past hurts, past disappointments, past discouragement, and you will look at all that, because how many know all those things that are in the past, they're informing our current present, and so maybe you led a life group last time, but it didn't go too well, so this time you're like, I ain't doing that again, and maybe you had a relationship with someone, and it didn't go right, and you go, I ain't doing that again, and maybe you trusted somebody, and they backstab you, and you go, I ain't doing that again, because your past is confusing your present, and so you can't move forward in any new relationships because of what happened at the past church, you can't move present in this church because of what happened for where God wants to bring you, so you're stuck in this place because you can't go from where your past was, you can't go into the next relationship, you can't go into the next season of your life because you're in the past of what happened to your family and what your dad did to you in the past and because of what he did to you in the past, you have issues with every person that's a man and so you can't move into your present and into your future because you're stuck in your past and God will always cause you to confront your past in order for you to move into your future. Always, he's always. So he's gonna say, we need to heal these daddy hurts. We need to heal this past pain. We need to heal the, the mistakes of your past and the addictions and, and, the, and the, the lawsuits that happened. We, we've gotta heal that. And yeah, you made some really foolish business decisions and it cost you and it cost you a lot of debt and a lot of pain and maybe even some relationships. And so God's calling you to start a new business or start a new thing and you're like, I ain't doing that again. I already did that once and it didn't work right. But I'm just telling you right now, just because it didn't work once doesn't mean it won't work again. God can use you and the enemy will get you to continue to believe that you are your past. And so therefore it keeps you stuck, keeps you stuck. How many things has God called us to step into and we've said, no, I'm not gonna do that because of my past? Fear, fear. So not only do we have fear of the past, but we also have fear of the future. But what if they, and what, what if this happens? And, and what if I step in and say yes and it just doesn't go well? What if, what if, what if? And I want you to see what God's solution is here, and we're gonna end it here. God's solution to what if they, God says, then the Lord said to them, can we put that scripture up? There we go. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Everybody say that with me. What is that, come on, say it again. What is that 
in your hand. Notice that when he's telling God, well, what if, and what if, and what if this happens, and what if they do this in the future, that God says, well, well, well hey, can you maybe just for a moment stop telling me what you don't have, and can we look at what you do have? What you got? Uh, a stick? I got a stick. Okay, good enough. Good enough. What God is really telling him is he's saying this. All you have is all you need. All you have is all you need. And I don't know about y'all, I can get so caught up in what I don't have. I don't have enough education. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't have enough this. I don't have these connections. I don't have this kind of money. I don't have this kind of stuff. And we sit here and tell God all the things that we don't have and God says, can we just for a moment stop and look at what you do have? You got breath in your lungs. You got gifts. You got abilities. You got stories. You got experience. You've got wisdom. You've got some relationships that you didn't think that you have that you actually do have. And if you will start using what you do have, I can get you unstuck from where you are to go into what God's called you to do, but you're so focused on what you don't have, you're staying stuck where you're at. God says, what do you have? To all the single moms in this room, you have all you need to raise that child or those children the way God's called you to raise them. I'm telling you right now, you've got all that you need. You've got all that you need. Every person here that feels relationally disconnected, you have all you need in this church if you will just start looking for it. You have all that you need. Stop looking at what you don't have and look at what you do have. And it was something that Moses had already had in his hand that really all that he needed to move forward. Because how many know, Moses doesn't know this, but we know this. He's gonna take that staff and he's gonna throw it down. It's gonna become a snake. He's gonna go into Pharaoh and he's gonna throw it down and it's gonna do some things that he can do. It's gonna become a trick stick. In his hand is nothing. Outside of his hands, it becomes a trick stick. He's able to use it in incredible ways. He's gonna stretch out his hands over waters and it's gonna part. They're gonna get out into the dry land in the desert with no water and he's gonna take that trick stick and he's gonna hit some rock and some water's gonna come pouring out of it. He's gonna do things with that stick. He has no clue he's going to do, but God just wants him to know, do you understand? You do have something. Stop looking at what you don't have. God never gave him something else. He just used what he had. And I don't know about y'all, but there was a boy who had just some five loaves and two fishes, and God says, if that's all you got, that's all I need. I can feed thousands of people right here. If you just give me what you got, I can multiply anything that you have. So what is it that you have? What is it that's in your hand Moses has no idea, watch this, that there are over two million people waiting on him to say yes. So I wanna flip it here. I wanna flip it here. He's going to God going, what if they, and what if I don't, and what if they say something? And here's my question. What if you don't say yes? What if you do start the business? What if you do share your faith? 
What if, what if you do step in and say, God, I surrender all, everything's yours. What if you go all in and just say, God, it's all yours. I'm not staying here anymore. What if you do those things, what maybe could happen? So instead of looking at it from a base of fear, what if we took the same what if and used it as a base of faith? What if I stepped over and put my hands on them and believe for healing in Jesus' name? What if I believe that God is who he says he can do and when there looks like there is no way, he can make a way when there is no way? What if I put my faith linked up with your faith? What could we do? What if we were a church who looked beyond ourselves and said, I'm gonna give my life to the advancing of the gospel to see lost people come to know Jesus, to disciple those who are in my path, to give my life to those? What if? What if you decided to stop living for yourself and go all in and live for him? What if? I think you wouldn't live with a life of regret. Because listen, most of the time, the only thing we regret is the things we didn't say yes to. So what is it that's in your life right now? Let me put it a different way. How many people are praying to God and God's talking to you to be the answer and he's waiting for you to say yes. And maybe he ain't talking to them, but he's been talking to you. He's been talking to you. He's been telling you to talk to that friend about Jesus for a year and you keep putting it off because you don't think you're qualified enough. I don't know. Your life's been radically changed. You're perfectly qualified. You got a story and a testimony of God's goodness. You're perfectly qualified. So what is it today? What is it today that, that the insecurity that God is wanting to break, God's wanting to give you security in who he is and who he's called you to be? And then what fears is God trying to break? Can I just end with this? As long as you're living for God, you will always probably battle those two. <laughs> I would like to say that as long as you're saying yes to God, you'll never see insecurity and you never see fear again. But I'm gonna tell you right now, you just say yes to the next step and how many know there's fear and insecurity again going, hello. Because how many know just as much as God's calling you, they're calling you. And every morning you wake up and God's calling you to himself, how many know fear and insecurity are calling you to themselves as well? And so today the question is just whose phone are you gonna pick up? Whose voice are you gonna listen to? If you're here in this room, I wanna end today. If you're here in this room and you've been battling some fear, you've been battling some insecurity and you know it's gotten you stuck, I want you to stand right where you are. And I wanna pray, I wanna pray for you. That's you in this room. Come on, stand up all across this room. God's been calling you, God's been calling you, but there's some things that you've allowed, fears and insecurities to keep you stuck where you're at. I wanna pray over you right now. If you're near somebody that is standing up, I want you just to either stretch out your hands towards them or if you're close to them, put your hands on their shoulder. We're gonna agree together that God's going to begin to give faith in this house to believe again, to believe the call of God that's on your life. The enemy is trying to keep you in this place because he knows the power of what happens when you get on the other side of this. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray over every single person that is standing up right now that has been battling fear and insecurity, God, doubting who they are, God, who have allowed maybe the enemy's voice to be louder than your voice, but right now in this place, from those who are standing to those right now who are watching this online, God, I pray, Lord, that they would meet the I am, that they would meet the I am, the I am more than enough, that I am who I say that I am, that I am the promise keeper, that I am the healer, that I am the friend, 
that I am the power that they need. God, I pray in this place right now, Lord, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord, that we can do what we do. We don't rely on our own gifts. We don't rely on our own strength. We rely on the fact that you've called us, you've anointed us, you delivered us, you have set us free for such a moment as this. And so God, I pray that today there would be some declarations of yes today. Yes, God, yes, yes. God, we say yes to what you're calling us to do. God, we say yes to the next steps that you want for us. God, we say yes to you and to your purposes. God, no longer may it be about us and what we want, but God, I pray that we would surrender to you and say yes to you in Jesus' name. Now, I wanna pray, just keep standing there right there. If you're in this house and there has been unforgiveness that has kept you stuck, unforgiveness of things in the past, maybe things people have done to you, maybe things that people have said about you, maybe things that, maybe even forgiveness to yourself for things that you have done and you've been walking in that for a while. I want you just right now just to say, God, I release that in Jesus' name. God, we release this in Jesus' name. We forgive them. God, we fully accept the blood of Jesus as full payment for what people have done to us. God, we accept it for the full payment for maybe what we've done to ourselves. We receive your forgiveness today in Jesus' name. He who freely receives, freely gives. And so God, I pray that forgiveness would flow out of this house, God. I pray healing would flow out of this house, God. I pray mercy would flow out of this house. Grace would flow out of this house, God. Lord, give us what we need that we can be a reservoir to those around us. May our yes of being unstuck help other people get unstuck out of what they are, God. Lord, thank you that you're calling us. You're moving us forward, God. And what the enemy meant for wrong, what the enemy meant for evil, what the enemy meant to destroy and to divide, God, I pray right now that you would use to restore and heal and reconcile, forgive and use in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Come on, let's give.